We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hi, this is Cheryl Broderson. And Jasmine Allnut. And we're here with part two of Renee of France. Should we just mm-hmm. dive right in? Do it. I think you need to. <laughs> I do too. We have so much to talk about. So as you know, Renee of France, I said last program, she was Louis XII's daughter. So I'm going to give you a rundown because there's going to be a lot of kings coming up mm. in this episode. So I'm just going to set you straight on the kings of France, just in <laughs> case you wanted to be. So Louis Twelfth is Renee's father. Francis I, who takes the throne from Louis when Louis dies, is Renee's brother-in-law, Claude, her sister's husband. Yes. When Francis I dies, his son, Henry II, takes the throne. So Henry II is Francis I's son, and he's also Renee's nephew, right? Yes. But Henry II married Catherine de Medici. Now, Henry II is killed in a jousting tournament. It's not funny. I'm sorry. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. And then what happens is it goes to his son, Francis II, who is the son of Henry II Mm -hmm. and Catherine de Medici. And Francis II, for a short period of time, is married to Mary, Queen of Scots crazy and dies mysteriously after reigning only one year Mm, wonder what happened there yes so francis ii dies and his brother charles the ninth is this getting confusing (laughs) charles the ninth who's the brother of francis ii the son of henry the (laughs) second whose mother is still catherine de medici Becomes king, and he's the one who will be king during the St. Bartholomew Massacre, which we'll be talking about. He died of tuberculosis in 1574, two years after the massacre. It is sad that he went crazy and kept shouting about all the blood he shed at St. Bartholomew Massacre. Interesting. Wow, that was horrendous. After he dies, Henry the third takes the throne. He's the younger brother of Charles and Francis II. (laughs) And he was in favor of religious tolerance. So during his reign, and it was very short, there was a peace, a pseudo peace reigning over France, and the Huguenots were allowed some freedoms. Mm -hmm. Now, he died without an heir, and the one to succeed him was Henry of Navarre, Mm -hmm. who was married to Margaret, the sister of Henry III, (laughs) <laughs> who became Henry the Sixth, King of France. Are you confused? Got it. You got it? I'm sure okay. everyone's got the yes, yes, yes. I, no, you're you're going pretty, you know, you're doing very well. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we talked about last time how Renee was still able to actually hide Huguenots, still able to um, read the reformed writers, still grow in her faith, even though her husband had banished all of her friends from the court of Ferrar. She's still, you know, growing and she's still doing well. She's still doing charitable deeds and and raising her children. But at this point, a new pope, Pope Julius III, he comes to power. And he is not sympathetic at all toward Mm -hmm. Renee. He has no relationship with her at all. Mm -hmm. And he sides with Hercule to to try to get the holdings away from her. And into the court of Ferrar, because that's a win for Italy, right? Absolutely. 
this is like all in 1534. So at the same time, so this is, you know, they've been banished. Eric Lee is looking for reasons to have his wife arrested. Francis I and his second wife, Eleanor of Austria, cracked down on the Huguenot movement in France, and they tried to banish all Protestants from France. And so they had this parade down the main Parisian you know, road. Right, right. Avenue. Right. And he was wearing purple velvet robe and his wife was beside him leading this procession through Paris. And the court of France followed behind with candles and then the churchmen. And they were holding the supposed relics of the church that authenticated the Catholics. And they claimed to own the crown of thorns of Jesus and Moses' ten commandments. And Whoa. so in those days, the, the church felt like it was authenticated by relics mm-hmm. instead by the word of God or by obedience or by faith. You know, and here's yeah. a Catholic church. They're resting in relics, which Tradition, have become idols yeah. to them. Yeah. Whereas the Protestants are saying, no, it's all about faith. It's all about what Jesus has done. It's all about adherence to the word of God. So after Pope Julius comes in, um, Eric Lee, tries to intercept all of Renee's mail then. So he's tightening the grip because he knows she's hiding the Huguenots that have fled France. And he tries to cut her off from all contact with any Protestants. And he talks the Pope into sending messengers to interrogate Renee, but she refuses to see these messengers. And she says, my confidence is in God and none other. They accuse her of not being Catholic. And they said, you're a Calvinist. You're a Lutheran. And she said, no, I do not go by the name of any man. But I do go by the name of my Savior, Jesus. And awesome. that's my identity, which I thought was phenomenal. Bold. Wow. So she's using her private income to help Protestant pastors escape capture. And this is, again, how he influences the Pope. Like, look, she's taking that money that I want, and she's using it for Protestants. If I get that money, I will help the Catholic Church. And so at this time, she's using her letter writing, her money to try to help pastors that are being arrested and murdered. And so her husband starts an inquisition in Farrar. And he invites inquisitors to come to the court of Ferrar, and they begin to arrest some of the Italian Protestants or pastors. And one of the men they arrest is Fanini, and he's a really, really good friend of Renée of France. And she writes the Pope. She writes her brother-in-law. She appeals to her husband on behalf of Fanini, and they all say, No. Mm -hmm. In fact, her husband, the Duke of Ferrar, Mm -hmm. writes a separate letter. And this is what he says. My wife, this is what he writes the Pope. My wife often acts without our knowledge and against our will. As a Christian and Catholic prince, I intend to give Fanini the punishment he deserves. So Fanini was dragged from his cell to a place of execution. Someone turned to him and said, what about your children? And he said, my children, they will have a far better father than I could have ever been. Mm. And there's, and the people said, who is that? And he said, why, the Lord himself. He undertakes for the orphan and the fatherless, and he will father my dear children. Awesome. And then as they tie him up, they give him a crucifix, a wooden crucifix. And he says, do I need this bit of wood to remind me of my Savior? Christ reigns and is engraved on my heart. And so he refused the 
little wooden cross because they felt those those things like the crosses, they were the relics. They were idols. Yeah, yeah. So Fanini was strangled and his lifeless body was thrown into the Po River that flows alongside Ferrara. So you can understand how Rene is feeling right now. Yeah. Well, now the Inquisitors turn on her and they place her in solitary confinement. And they tell her that she's going to have life imprisonment and that she will never see her children again. Well, this is why she recants. And she doesn't recant her faith, but she recants Protestantism, but not her faith. And she does it just enough to be released. However, she refused to go to Mass or take part in the Eucharist. About this time, Calvin hears that she's recanted. Mm. And he writes her kind of like a mean letter. Oh, and like he rebuke. writes, oh, What boy. moves me to speak is that I cannot tolerate that the Word of God is in such a way concealed, perverted, corrupted, and depraved before you regarding essential matters by those whom you have graced with your trust and the endowment of authority. Calvin could get a little bit, mm-hmm. yeah, harsh. Later, he will repent that mm-hmm. he ever wrote that and never distrusted her. That's but cool. can you imagine? This is a low time. This is a really, yeah, really low time. her while she's down. Right, and she's in prison. So she gets out, and again, he's taking all her money, all her assets, everything away from her, saying, see, she's a Protestant, she deserves death, and I deserve all this money and all these children. But she's lit out after she recants and the next year, in 1559, her son dies. I mean, her husband dies. Wow. Ercole dies. And her son, Alfonso, becomes the reigning Duke of Ferrar. So if you think this is going to make matters better for her, it's not. <laughs> he hated his mother's Protestantism. Interesting. Hated it. And he said, I would rather live with the plague than live with Huguenots. And then he gave his mother an ultimatum. Either she must fully resign her Protestant faith or leave for our forever. Was this because he had separated her from her kids? Probably indoctrinated them, I would imagine. It could be. Like, I think when know. he got rid of the tutor, Michelle de Saubon, mm. that this is what happened. Yep. Yeah. So Rene wrote her son before leaving. I could not say to you what was in my heart for fear of being overwhelmed with tears. And she moved to Paris and then on to her holdings in Montreuil. Now, in Montreuil, which is, again, 68 miles north of Paris, she opens um, like a sanctuary because about this time, what is called the religious war startup in France. Mm-hmm. And the Huguenots, they amass their own army. And really, they're just trying to save their lives. But it gets really, really bloody and very dangerous. So what she does is she opens up her castle and she invites Huguenots and Catholics who are for peace to come and live in her castle, in her duchy, as peaceful citizens. And so Catholics and Protestants shelter there and live side by side peacefully. And at the same time, France declares the death penalty for anyone caught worshiping as a Protestant. And one of the signs that you were a Protestant was if they found a Bible. Mm-hmm. If they found a, you know, a translation of the Bible in your home, you would be killed. You would Crazy, be isn't it? in prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, Renée's oldest daughter married Henry, Duke of Guise, and he was the head of the Roman Catholic Party. And he, at one point, attacks uh, Montrese. 
at which point Renee sent word to him. He besieged it for almost three years and said, consider well what you are planning to do. There is no one in this kingdom who commands me except the king himself. If you come, I will throw myself into the breach and see whether you will have the audacity to kill the daughter of a king. (laughs) Smart. After this, he left. Yep. He retreated. (laughs) And Calvin then wrote her a letter and said, I know that you have been like a nursing mother to those poor persecuted brothers and sisters who do not know where to go. God has done you a great honor in allowing you to carry his banner. Mm. So Guy's lost his edge and his power when his nephew, Francis II, King of France, the husband of Mary, Queen of Scots, mysteriously died. So that was kind of his edge was that he was cousins to Francis II, who you might remember is the son of <laughs> is the son of a king. Yeah, is that is, Francis the first son? Francis the no. first. No, he's Henry the second. Henry the second. Son. Son. Yep, yep. Got Catherine it, got Medici's. It. A lot of Henrys and son. Francis's. And so many. Louise. That's why they got to put numbers after their names. Yep. <laughs> so. Henry, the Duke of Guise, was later assassinated by Huguenot and died in 1563. And at that point, Rene was again able to hold Protestant services at uh, Montrix. So for a while, she stopped holding the Protestant services because they were being besieged and she had Catholics and Protestants alike. Mm. But she was able to start having services again and open it up as a haven for Protestants up until the Third Religious War, which was in 1568 to 1570. So at this point, this is when Charles IX is reigning. Again, Catherine Medici's second son, and he is lethal. And so it's no longer safe for her to house Protestants. So what she did is she sends underground aid to the Protestants and she finds refuge, like in Switzerland. She helps them to get to these different places where they'll be safe and Germany. Smart. So Rene then was invited to France for the marriage of Jean de Albert's son, Henry Navarre, Mm. to Catherine Medici's daughter, Margaret. Mm -hmm. So she goes to France to go to this wedding. And she stays with her daughter, Anne. Now, Anne, remember, had been married to Henry, the Duke of of Geis, Geis, who had been assassinated. Now, it's interesting because Anne actually really loves her mother, but she hates Huguenots and she hates Protestants. Interesting. In fact, some credit Anne with the first blow against Huguenots on St. Bartholomew's Day. Wow, and yet, sad. that's who, that's who Renee was staying with. Well, it was at Margaret Voile's wedding to Henry of Navarre, while Charles IX was still king, that Renee went to Paris for the August 18th wedding. And this wedding was held on the porch of Notre Dame since Henry's faith, whether he was a true Catholic or not, was held in question because he was Jean Albert's son. Yeah. And she yeah. was an ardent. Protestant. Yeah. So just a few days later, on August 24th, 1572, the St. Bartholomew Massacre broke out and thousands of Protestants who had come for the wedding and were promised amnesty, this is like the leaders of, of Protestantism, were ambushed and murdered in Paris. Yeah. And Rene was actually aided by her daughter, Anne, now married to Jacques, Duke of Nemours to escape to Montreux, 
which is really interesting. So she still loves her mom. Yeah. You know, and Renee was able to escape because she felt she could do more help and give more help for Montrague than she could in Paris. Paris was just a powder cake. It was terrible. Everything was blowing up. Renee then went to Montrague and again opened the castle as a, a refuge a refuge for all these fleeing Paris, all mm-hmm. these Huguenots. So it would be 68 miles. Renee died um, three years after the massacre at Montrague. Mm-hmm. But before dying, she wrote out her beliefs. First, we hold that we are saved by faith, not works. Secondly, we hold that we are saved by Jesus Christ, who did not exempt us from observance of the moral law. We hold for the third point that it is necessary to pray to God often. Finally, for the fourth point, we recognize in the Christian church for the ordained sacrament of Christ only baptism and also the Holy Communion. Mm -hmm. So she's not doing anything that's in opposition to the Catholic Church. She's like, I'm not doing anything to opposition by holding these beliefs. These are actually beliefs that you should also hold. from the Bible. Mm -hmm. And this statement also... Um, included a note to her children, and she said, I pray that my children will read and listen to the Word of God in which they will find comfort and true guide to eternal life. Mm. Renee did not want a formal funeral. However, her son Alfonso gave her a lavish Catholic funeral. Oh, my goodness. But she was not allowed to be buried with the royal family. The King of France forbid it. That was Charles IX. So she was buried in a simple wooden casket at Montrigue. Now, what Mm. I find interesting about this is that her children loved her, even though they didn't appreciate her her commitment Mm -hmm. to the Lord. We'll see that later with Francis and Marguerite. He just tolerated because of the family connection and the love. Mm -hmm. But that's, ooh, that's tricky. (laughs) It is. It is tricky. I did want to read Calvin's last letter to Renee. So he composed this on April 4th, 1564. Uh, 23 days before he died, and he dictated it to uh, someone who sent it to her. Mm -hmm. And he wrote, They have all the more loved and honored you as they have realized that this has not swayed you from an honest and pure profession of Christianity. Speaking of all the persecution that she had been through. Mm -hmm. Not only in words, but in the most obvious and tangible way. On my part, I assure you that this has given me the highest admiration of your virtues. And you think about that. And I think this is um, significant because we said in an earlier program that that Calvin was very short on praise. Yeah, he was. <laughs> and yet true. this is a woman that he praised, Renee of France, for her testimony. And she used her position and she used her money to further the gospel yeah. and to help Huguenots. But I also love that she helped Catholics, too. I mean, she, anyone who loved Jesus, anyone who was of the faith, that was the person she was for and she wanted to, to help. There's quite a few of these remarkable women that were willing to breach those gaps and say, hey, you know, if they follow Jesus, uh, as uh, I think it was Catherine Zell who said, they're welcome at my table. Yes. Like, hey. If yes. And then that was very unusual. Like, even the reformers weren't that welcoming. That's right. That's true. <laughs> of people who were different. Right. Well, you know, what's also interesting is, you know, I think even though she was only three or four when her mother died, Anna Brittany, Anna Brittany had been really disillusioned with the Catholic Church. She saw so much corruption. Again, the, these popes and these clerics are trying to grab her land and take it from her. They're forcing her into these marriages. So no doubt part of that, and again, Michelle de Sauvon, 
who had been her mother's dear friend, becomes Renee's tutor. Mm. And probably is saying, there's corruption there, and there's integrity, and there's godliness with these reformers. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're bringing you into direct alignment with the Lord. Love it. Uh, actually, I had a quote from one of her biographers, and I thought, well, this is a striking point about her as well. And he said, what I find most interesting about Renee is that she did not need to do any of this. She was, after all, the king's daughter. She could have gone through life in her royal pedigree and lived a passive faith. No one would have questioned that. But she went to the front lines of spiritual warfare and risked all her earthly comforts and privileges to serve Christ, who had done all for her. She had much to lose, probably more than any of us, but her mind was set on heavenly things. And he goes on and talks about what an example that is to us. Just uh, she didn't have to do that. No, she didn't. And it also it jeopardized not only her holdings, her land, her reputation, her position, but also her relationship with her children. Yes. And because she held to the faith that she knew was right, it even ostracized her from her children. Two of her daughters were forced to go live in a convent. And that was kind of uh, two of her younger daughters trying to um, get even with her. They were later released. One of them married a, a king somewhere. But... <laughs> The fact that, you know, it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard for her, but she knew it was right. Yeah. And then, too, to, you know, spend all of her money to save the lives of people, to save and help the down and out. But, you know, she did the same thing in for, our, for for all the families of that were poor. She was washing their feet. I mean, she's a queen and she's going out into the streets and she's washing their feet and she's using her money, her own money. Yeah. To help these people. Incredible. It's like Elizabeth of Hungary. Remember yes. her. Oh, my yes. goodness. What an example. Yes. And again, Elizabeth of Hungary also had her own money because of her father, just like Renee had her own money because of her father, who was, you know, King <laughs> Louis Twelfth. Um, she had her own holding. She had her own money. And um, later, interestingly enough, her daughter Anne, remember who she stayed with during yeah. the St. Bartholomew yeah. um Massacre. Massacre and, you know, the wedding of Jeanne Albert's son. Her daughter later found a document, a legal document, that said that um, it was a legal document in which Anne of Brittany had bequeathed Brittany to Renee. And it Mm. was a legal document that could not be revoked. I mean, she had gotten it signed by anyone and everyone and even the Pope at that point. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it was taken away, unfortunately, it was posthumously discovered. So it didn't do Renee any good. But again, she used her position over and over again to protect the people who were under her care. Yeah, Um, She was a prolific letter writer. So cool. In fact, we know most of what we know about her life through her letters and her correspondence. And mm-hmm. as we said before, for 27 years, she wrote letters uh, to the reformers. Most mm-hmm. of her letters, though, were on behalf of the reformers. She wrote prolifically to the Pope, to Francis I, and to the different kings mm-hmm. of France. To defend them. To defend them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, to different cardinals and bishops to defend them and to defend the faith and say, this is nothing. This is nothing a more than a greater dedication to Jesus Christ. This is not an aberrant doctrine. This is this is what you really want to preach and to know. Yeah, and I think that really stumped, you know, a lot of the Catholics. I was reading um, an interrogation mm-hmm. um, of one of a Catholic against a, a Protestant, and whatever they said was so biblical yes. that really 
the Catholics didn't have any a leg to stand on, mm-hmm. you know, in saying, well, no, you just obey the church. Well, wait a minute. What does the Bible say? Yeah. Well, one of the things that they accused her of was eating meat during Lent. I mean, these <laughs> Jesuits and these accusers, I mean, they just came up with the most pitiful, you know, things mm-hmm. to try to say against her. I mean, the charge of eating meat during Lent was the biggest charge they had against her. And it wasn't true. It's not even a biblical charge. No, it's not a biblical charge. It has nothing to do with the Bible. Mm-hmm. She never talked against the Pope. She never talked against anybody. Wow. She just kept it to about Jesus, mm. uh, which was also wise. Yeah. You know, Which'd but she lived to, to be up in her 60s, which is in those days a long life. Seriously, and considering how many people hated her, I mean, right. she could have easily been beheaded or mysteriously disappeared, quote unquote. Right, and how many kings <laughs> she lived through, too. Yeah, I mean, totally. Yeah. I mean, we think about, like, how many presidents I've lived through, you know, and our presidents, you know, only served four to eight years. But she lived through all those kings who would serve, like, for a lifetime. Multiple times. You know, yeah, yes. years. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Renee France is really a woman worth knowing. And again, mm-hmm. as we said, her, her life intercepts with, um, Jean Dalbert, it intercepts with um, Marguerite Sue, Navarre. Yes, yeah. Marguerite Navarre, but also with two like really notably awful women of that time. Mm. You know, Lucretia Borgia and Catherine de Medici. Yeah, both came from notorious families. Both were known for being evil, scheming. Oh, the Medici's immoral women. Yeah, Medici's and Borgias were like mob mob families yes. uh, back in the day. Yes, like literally. And yet they were considered, you know, great Catholics because, yeah. <laughs> well, one was even related to the Pope. Let's, you know, face it, the daughter of a Pope. <laughs> it, it's so crazy. It reminds me of that scripture in Isaiah, like, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Yeah. Because she lives in a time where everything is upside down. Where evil is is the acceptance and living a biblical, moral, kind, mm. loving is frowned upon. Yeah. And if you had a Bible, that was frowned upon. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Oh, that's a death I mean, penalty. Well, that was a death sentence. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, definitely this is why Renee of France is a woman worth knowing. Absolutely. And again, Beautiful if example. you have a woman worth knowing that either you want us to feature on this podcast or um, you want us just to read your story. Give a shout out. Yes, we would <laughs> love to do that. So please write us at wwk at cccm.com. All those letters. I know, right? You can also find us on Cheryl's Gracious Words.com website or on the women.cccm.com uh, website as well. Lots of spots for you to That's find right. us. And maybe someday we'll have our own spot, our own oh, women yeah, work we could going. get our own website eventually, That's right. huh? Yes. <laughs> Especially you can now that you're going to be teaching church history. Oh, here so, we go. Yes. yes. <laughs> Putting the pressure on Jasmine publicly. <laughs> so we want to thank you again for joining us this week. And mm-hmm. until next week and another woman worth knowing, we just want to say thanks for listening and yes. thanks for caring. Yes. Please join us again. And be inspired. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnutt.